Welcome to a Musician's Life podcast. This podcast features interviews with a diverse group of musicians in different fields of the music industry, and my intent is that the audience will gain something from each guest's story. This episode features my conversation with Mike Eisenstein. Mike is best known as the guitarist and member of the band Letters to Cleo, but he also has led an active career as a sideman with many groups, including Our Lady Peace and Melissa Etheridge. I sat down with Mike last August at his home in Los Angeles. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansLifePodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Here's my conversation with Mike Eisenstein. So, Michael Eisenstein, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for doing it. No problem. My pleasure. Um, so, let's start with some basic biographical information. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Wayne, New Jersey, as in Fountains of Wayne. Fountains of Wayne. Okay. <laughs> Fountains of Wayne is in, was in my hometown. Oh, Drove really? by it every day on my way to high school. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so yeah. So, let's start there. So, did you know those guys? Did you, were they around your age group? Or, like, are they... Um, they are, but I, I don't know that they were a band then or yeah. that I would have known no, them. Like we, yeah. we, and it's funny because I, I grew to know Adam Schlesinger. I worked with him uh, back in the early 2000s. And uh, went out to see to a Fountains of Wayne show. Had yeah. a lot of mutual friends, and like yeah. sort of said to Chris, uh, like, "Hey, you know, I'm from Wayne, New Jersey." And yeah. he was like, rolled his eyes, like, "Great." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "You motherfucker!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I, I think that was before I even met uh, Adam. Adam I was about it. Yeah. It was yeah. Like, um, so. Growing up, were your parents musical? Was there music happening like in your house, or what was that experience? My like? mother studied classical piano as a child. She went to the School of Music and Art in New York. Okay. And uh, but she had suffered a uh, injury cleaning up a broken glass, wow. um, and you know, severed a tendon in her yeah. pinky, and kind of like gave that up as her focus. Okay. And um, but we so I grew up with a nice uh, Steinway piano in the house. In nice. The house. nice. And my older brother was a uh, drummer. Okay. So what was your actual first instrument? Piano. It was piano. So yeah. when did you start? Like when you were real young? or No, I was maybe like, when I was six, seven, eight, I used to like tinker around on it and like, yeah. you know, try to find little melodies or sure. like, you know, someone showed me how to play chopsticks, stuff like that. Right. And uh, I liked it enough that I, when I think it was a third grade or so, I asked, I asked for lessons. Yeah. And, uh. My mom got them for me, and I immediately hated them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't like my teacher. Didn't yeah. like the. Didn't like anything about it. Right. So I so I gave that up, and then the following year I did trumpet for a year because mm -hmm. like you know you can do the school like concert school band, band yeah. right, you know yeah and uh, but didn't love that okay but my brother was playing drums at the time I would occasionally noodle around on his drum his kit yeah and he started having bands. And the gear would be in our basement. Oh, cool! And so there's like guitars and amps around, and that's when I started like when they weren't around. Right. When they were out getting high in the backyard or whatever, right. I would go and play their guitars for, for a little bit and try sure. to figure some stuff out. I yeah. Showed a power chord. Nice. And uh, nice. so then I wanted to get my own guitar. Okay, <laughs> cool. So was that like middle school era yeah, for yeah, you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So when you got your own guitar, did you like jump right into getting lessons or you're just like figuring things out on your own or? I jumped right into getting lessons. The, like one of the best, probably the best high school guitar player in town was my next door neighbor. Oh, cool. So I started taking lessons from him. I was in eighth grade and he was a high school senior. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... Um, so he would, me, he would give me like two and a half hour lessons, you know, like awesome. <laughs> we would listen to music together and talk about it. It was you know, a real That's uh, great. pivotal figure in my yeah. life then. So, um, so were you involved in any like public school music programs at all throughout middle school? Did you play any other instruments in the band or did, was the guitar outside like your main thing? That was it. I, I mean, it, I was, yeah. I remember in middle school being in a, being in a couple of like, uh, plays uh-huh. You know, singing. Yeah, but that was it. But that was yeah. it. Okay. And uh, but yeah, it was outside of that. Yeah. And I switched actually in eighth grade. I switched from public school to private school. Uh huh. Okay. Um. So like, by the time ninth grade came around, I joined the school band there as a guitarist. Okay. So was that like a stage band or like a jazz band or something? A little of both. We, okay. You know, it was definitely with our instrumentation and our teacher, we were closer to being a jazz band. Mm-hmm. But like. For the holiday concert, we would do more of a stage band kind right. of show. Right. And then we would also, you know, the core group of that band would also be the pit band for the music plays and, and stuff. stuff. Yeah. Cool. And were you still studying with your kind of like mentor, you're this the older guitar player that lived near you, or did you find someone else? I studied else? with him for a year and a half until he went to college. He went to college, yeah. He went off to Berkeley. Okay. And, uh, then I started studying with his teacher mm-hmm. briefly, mm-hmm. but I didn't like him. Okay, um, just personality-wise, sure. it was a bad fit. Right. And uh, then I hooked up with another guy around town, mm-hmm. um, who some people I knew had taken lessons, and he was a he was a good fit. He was like one of those guys who like could play any kind of music sure. and um, was a real positive. Uh, like you know, sort of encouraging. What music were you into at this time? Like personally, like, re- what were you listening to and checking out? Well, I mean, the, I can remember specifically the reason I got that first guitar. Yeah. Was because I heard my brother's copy of Van Halen one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, what I want to do this? that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You know? Yeah. So yeah. that was, but I was, you know, you know, other. I was into them. But I loved the Police at the time. Yeah. Um, I had, you know, I say probably mostly hard rock, but like MTV was brand new. Mm-hmm. It had just come out like right before I started playing guitar. Sure. So it was like my brother and I would sit in front of the TV and they had, you know, not a lot of people have made videos back then. So they just would show everything they had. Right. So the first year or so or two of MTV, it was really eclectic. Yeah. Old Bowie videos, lots of live stuff from all kinds of bands, right. you know, odd new bands w- were broken from that, you yeah. know, like anything from Huey Lewis and the News, Romantics, right. like, it was just, you know, we would sit and watch, you know, and it, it would be, go from 38 Special to, you know, Judas Priest to the Beefy Twos. It was like, you know, wow. it was very eclectic and, uh, you know, fun time. Just, so we would sit and, my brother would have his drumsticks. Right. He would drum on the ottoman. I would right. have my guitar. You're watching, I would, yeah. I would strum along. We would just watch this you know, a couple hours of MTV oh, and just kind great. of try and like jam to it as best we could. Uh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> learn, learn the parts on the fly. Did you have a great classic rock radio station where you lived that you like yeah. listened to a lot? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was great. It was great to me. It was great to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> WPLJ. Yeah. I was, we had that in New Haven. I grew up in New Haven. We had WPLR and it was like, 
the idea was like I remember like they have like Monday Night Live where they would ha- they have someone like talk about like what the concert was and they put like a Stevie Ray Vaughan like live complete live concert yeah. or whatever and the DJ would like talk and like talk about the players and it was like it was almost like NPR or something of yeah. classic rock and it, but I feel like that's such a that's such a thing that's kind of gone to the wayside and uh in, in people's musical development and like the it's really interesting to hear like the idea that you were just watching MTV and like discovering new music through MTV which is now something that's like well then at that time the VJs were like were knowledgeable DJs right you know they had to be somewhat photogenic too but like sure. they were like they would do the same thing they would tell you like that this guy used to be in this band and whatever right. and like they would back in and talk about stuff right yeah, and interview cool. people, you know. Right, there were interviews, right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, so I also, my parents had a very strict, like, early bedtime for me. Okay. And I had these, like, headphones, and I would listen to FM, and I couldn't fall asleep, you know, right. Night Owl even then. Yeah. So I would have to, like, in my room, like, in the dark, listen to FM radio FM for radio. a couple hours just to... Just to wind down. Yeah. So. Cool. <laughs> what was one of the first concerts you, concerts you saw that really, like, blew you away, that, like, really, like, knocked you out and inspired you? I mean, the very, very first concert, it's hard to get an arena concert, was um, eighth grade. It was right, right about that time. It was, I think, just a little bit before I actually started really playing, like having mm-hmm. owning my own guitar and stuff, was uh, Judas Priest, and their Iron, open, Iron Maiden was the opening act. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And it was like, you know, it was loud and like... It had a lot of show elements. They had like, you know, the Eddie, the decomposed mm-hmm. corpse like 20 feet tall yeah walking around on stage yeah and, you know it was just it was really over the top and sure. loud but they, you know they could play yeah. great and it was so that one and then uh-huh. i started going pretty regularly i saw you know van halen on a few tours in a row mm-hmm. um i don't know a bunch of people back then um cool so who were some of your favorite guitarists like you mentioned like eddie van halen right of the bat like when you're like in high school like who were you checking out who were some of your influences well it's funny because uh i went to see one of them last week oh yeah at the hollywood bowl yeah so my i had two older sisters but one of my older sisters you know at the time she had this uh she was i think a senior in high school Mm -hmm. and uh her boyfriend was like so you're playing guitar. He's like, do you like Jeff Beck? And I'm like, who's Jeff Beck? Yeah. He's like, you're a guitar player and you don't know who Jeff Beck is? <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought me, the next time he came over, like a week later, he gave me a, uh, a copy and of Wired oh, cool. on vinyl. Yeah. And I really took that one in for, yeah. for quite a while. Cool, um, man. And my guitar teacher was a, he was a real jazzer at the time. He turned me on to all that early Pat Metheny stuff. I was really mm-hmm. into that. Yeah. Um, and then, so let me ask you, practicing-wise, like in high school with these different guitar teachers, were you working on like rock stuff and jazz stuff and reading and vo- like kind of like the big picture of guitar or were you kind of just focused on a couple aspects? Where um, I mean, I had a little cover band with a buddy of mine who is also, you know, we got our guitars at the same time and he's uh-huh. he's still in music too. Oh, cool. He's, he teaches at NYU and... Uh-huh. Um, so we had a little cover band and um, a couple other little things we did. But I was just kind of doing what I wanted to do, you know. Mm-hmm. I learned, um, I had known how to read music a little bit from, you know, trumpet and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't work on it that hard, but I had to learn tunes. Right. You know, right. from sheet music. Like my teacher would yeah. give me a tune to learn. Sometimes they were hard, so right. I just 
sort of working it that way, and I gotcha. had to read in the stage band. band or so I was never great at it, but I just knew I could do it. Right. Okay, enough to survive. Right. <laughs> and did you? When was your first like paying gig? Was it in high school or yeah? College? Yeah. What was that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like little dances with the cut with the cover band aside. Um, the one that I remember is like my that I don't even remember getting paid for, but the one that I remember getting paid for was my teacher mm -hmm. subbed me out on a gig. Nice. And it was a uh, it was playing guitar in a production of Bye Bye Birdie for the Catholic school in one of the mm -hmm. Catholic schools in my hometown. Yeah. Like they hired outside musicians for their band. Okay. And uh, and he subbed it out to me, and I kind of like he kind of went over like. The parts some, some, some of the parts a little yeah. bit and gave me the score and mm -hmm. like just said you'll be fine and like you know just kind of On went through it and I got like you know 50 bucks or right. 75 bucks I don't remember what it was but right. it was like <laughs> I was thrilled that's awesome <laughs> When it came time for you to consider going to college, did you know you wanted to major in music or were there other like option, potential options for you? I knew I wanted to major in music. Um, the question was whether to go to a school that's music only yeah. or to go to like a liberal arts college that has a music program within it where I could sort of test the water and other things too. Yeah. So what were some schools that were like, when you surveyed colleges, what were like your core, like maybe group of three or four schools that you kind of whittled it down to? Berkeley was there right from the get-go because my teacher went there and I yeah. visited him a few times and it was thought it was the coolest. Yeah. Um, New England Conservatory. Yeah. Um, UMass Amherst. Mm-hmm. And um, and William Patterson College, which was yeah. in my hometown. Oh, okay, cool. And when it really came down to it, what was the thing that made you choose one school? Like, what was? Just having spent time at Berkeley and, ha you know, like, hung out in the dorms and mm -hmm. gone to jam sessions and, you know, spent a few weekends in Boston at that point. Like, sure. that's, that was my number one, like, place. Yeah. What was your major? What was your focus? Jazz composition and arranging. Jazz composition yeah. and arranging. <laughs> Which I don't even know if that's a major anymore. I, I'm not sure. So, <laughs> so, okay, jazz composition and arranging. So, had you already, like... Had you like surveyed like, you know, like the history of jazz composition arranging like, kind of on your own? Were you like interested in like Ellington suites or like, um, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's cheesy, but like the Claude Bowling flute and... For no, you know really music? what it was, was that like, to me, the guitar department yeah. was a little... Um, my perception of it is that it seemed a little cookie cutter in terms of like how they prepare you yeah so that which is you know i'm yeah. sure it works yeah i just thought like i knew i i wanted to major in something other than guitar what you're already doing yeah and then of the ones that they had that seemed they the seemed most, most interesting. interesting yeah cool so did you complete that degree of like a four-year degree and in... no you know it's a weird thing like i still it's still hanging out there like okay i should just buckle just down for six months and try to do i probably do it through correspondence and just get yeah. that thing because i I went there for four years and uh -huh. through, a, through a, an injury and a little gig and like some other things I just kind of never quite finished. Never but finished, I'm sure it's yeah. I'm sure it's not a ton of work. Right. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I make my parents so happy. <laughs> so, so you went to school and you're doing jazz, studying jazz composition and arranging. So, were you living in like in the dorm there at Berkeley? I did two years in the dorms, then two years in the, you know apartments. Apartments around in Boston. 
While you were at Berkeley, were you playing in bands uh, outside of school, like in the Boston scene at all, or were you mainly like focused around in the Berkeley scene? No, I, I was just playing, you know, recitals and concerts at school. Mm-hmm. And once in a blue moon, I get called for a little duo gig outside, outside or right. like, you know, right. um, or like play at Wally's, mm-hmm. um, so, sub for somebody who had a real gig once in a blue moon. Right. But mostly just playing within the in school within school so um who were some some like students or contemporaries of yours that you met at berkeley that had like a particular influence or that were really important people for you to meet in terms of your career development i'll say like uh there's a great guitarist um named jeff parker mm-hmm. who is in the band tortoise okay and has a great solo career mm-hmm. and um we've re- actually reconnected and been hanging again he lives here now and um he and I were really tight and played together a lot, mm-hmm. like all the time. Yeah. Um, both in recitals and just duets in the Getting dorm together. room, everything. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, we had a, you know, an informal sort of a group with, with a, a drummer and a bass player that we would, you know, play together a lot. Mm-hmm. And we had met like right when I started and okay. the whole way through, we were always like yeah. tight and listening to records together and talking yeah. about music. Um, Layla Hathaway, uh-huh. um, we were dating through college, yeah, and kind of same thing. We played together a lot, listened to music together all the time, mm-hmm. obviously, and just you know, grew. Yeah, throughout the, yeah. Just that you know, it was for me. It was everything I had hoped it would be because from the day I got there. Until the day I left, I would like play with other people like almost every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You no, know, like five times a week. Yeah. Whether it was, you know, just notes down those little little session rooms, rooms you yeah, know, like exactly. just honestly, just grab my guitar the day I got there, went around right. this jam session going on in every room. Yeah. Just found some people that also looked new and green. Like you heard some people, you could tell they were right. Experience. Yeah. yeah. Really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not going to that room. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and like. With, and and in the, lived in the dorms, and within that first week, I met this core group of people Yeah, that were kind of my friends the whole way through, and we just had a tight little group yeah. that, like, again, like I said, listened to music together, yeah, played music together, mm-hmm. and just went through the whole experience. The process, together. yeah. So you mentioned that, um, did you take some, like a break to do a tour, or did you get a gig that took you away from Berkeley for a little while? I did some dates with Layla, uh-huh. um, and... I mean, it didn't take me away a tremendously long amount of time. Um, and then, like, shortly after that, we broke up, and it was, like, I was sad and regrouping yeah. and moving and all that stuff sure. like that. And then, I, you know, that's around the time that I hooked up with Letters to Cleo and just, okay. you know, kind of never looked back, really. Were they were they already, like, an established band when no. you there were that was, like, just starting? Actually, it's funny. That, that, that ties into your earlier question about who were people I met at Berkeley that were instrumental in my yeah. career. Yeah, okay. Because um, Brian Karp was a bass player. He's now in New York. Mm-hmm. But he was, like, he knew Cowan. And he was roommates with Dave DeLome, I believe. And, like, um, who's now out here, works with everybody. Um, I knew him and he I was playing uh, softball or baseball or something like that one time and he was playing with that early stage of 
Letters to Cleo, as was his roommate, Pete Whitehead. And they needed a guitar player, and he sort of just threw out the idea of, like, would you want to join this rock band? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I'll check it out and see what I think. Yeah. So when you got involved with that band, were you... Like what was the where were you at where was the band at in the process were you like were they like writing songs and rehearsing or like starting to play locally around Boston they were or? always gigging okay um, and they had they had a lot of originals because they they came out of the ashes of a previous band yeah so they had a bunch of originals left over from that band mm-hmm. they would sometimes play they had a bunch of originals that just weren't that great but had mm-hmm. them yeah and then they had like I think a six song five or six song EP at the time. Mm-hmm. A cassette, yeah, that was like yeah. their tape, and that was like the the good what they were material. passing out. To... That was like the new material. This right. is the new band, yeah, and this is the new material. These right. five or six songs, and so we but we learned all that repertoire. We had, mm-hmm. a, and then we had probably like fifteen or twenty covers on top of that mm-hmm. to go play at like pubs. Yeah, so yeah. So mix, were we mixing. playing around Boston? Like, what were some clubs that were happening? Um. Well, we, we, there was two kinds of gigs we would do. There was there was like money gigs. Yeah. That was like again like you know do two or three sets of covers with a few originals peppered in sure at like there was this place in harvard square called the black rose yeah um there was downtown the purple shamrock mm-hmm. there was uh flan o'brien's in like uh like the harvard medical area like almost mm-hmm. the edge of jp mm-hmm. there was um a couple places in worcester mm-hmm. the cape Mm-hmm. You know, we do those kind of gigs. Yeah. And then, but like, we would also do, you know, once every month, you know, a sort of proper rock like club rock, show, just yeah. the originals, like yeah. the real thing. Yeah. And that would be, you know, in the places, TT's was, you mm-hmm. know, there, uh, at the time there was Bun Ratties, which is now was Wonder that? Bar. Oh, okay. Like in Austin? Yeah. On, uh, yeah. Okay. Middle East Upstairs was, sure. was, was new at the time, but it was cool. And, um. There was others. I'm just trying to say. So, how many times a month would you say you were playing when, at that time when you're with, playing cover? Yeah, with co- when you're doing covers and you're doing cover gigs and then you're doing the original gig. Well, like, you know, I used to do the mailing list. Okay. So I so could, you I you can say. tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was always like six to eight gigs a month, like every time. Yeah. But then sometimes it would be, you know, 10 to 12, especially right. we would do a little, sometimes, you know, every few months we would do a little run of like New York Philly New Haven or right. you know a little long weekend kind of right little Thursday little, Friday little Saturday dance. shot where we like slept at other right. cities yeah sure <laughs> so, so those those ones would be a little bit more but you know we would have you know one or two gigs a week and two rehearsals a week it was pretty full time pretty full time gig yeah yeah so um so you mentioned the mailing list and this is something that I think it's a little bit of a bygone thing, but I think it's kind of, it's really interesting because I was talking to Will Daly about the same thing about the cards and the posters and the whole thing. And so you basically, when you, it's like wood carvings and uh, (laughs) cave paintings. (laughs) It's like, but I think it's an interesting idea because like Will was saying that he would play downtown, play acoustic guitar and do three hour cover gigs and have a a mailing list. And it was like, um, I like is, was kind of the idea that like, you would when you did the cover gig at like the Purple Shamrock or whatever, and you'd pepper in your originals. Would you say from the stage like, "Hey, we're letters to Cleo. Like, this is our mailing list. Come check us out at TT's next month." Or was that kind of like, like no, totally. You and would we, totally do that, I mean, right. especially the. I mean, the Cape, like 
Ralph's in Worcester. Yeah. And we used to play this place out in the Cape called Rick's Outer Bar, way out in Wellfleet. Yeah. And we played there, I don't know, at least two summers in a row. Mm-hmm. Like every whatever day it was, Wednesday or Tuesday. I want to say it was Tuesday is what my gut is telling me. Right. Like every Tuesday yeah. from like starting in May mm-hmm. to September, we'd be out there, you know. Yeah packing it all up like and you finish the gig and then like have a couple of drinks with the staff and then like pack it all up and you get back to drive to, to, to boston to the rehearsal space at like four oh. and then i have to go to my job at oh. nine like <laughs> yeah man oh, but it, man. but we st- i mean they'll invariably be some like facebook message or let's have a show like a fan will just be like i first saw you at rick's on the cape the like cape. you know there's yeah. still people everywhere that like some it's summer in 1991 year. or 92. Right. Like, that's where they saw us for the first yeah. time. So you guys are working a lot as a full, basically full-time band. You've got your six solid, six-song demo tape or EP. So mm-hmm. what, like, what is the next step in the progression of the career of that band? The next step was we uh, went through some personnel changes. Mm-hmm. Um, our drummer had been growing a little bit disinterested with the whole grind of it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't remember what he wanted to do. Um, he was in a relationship that might have been straining that, just never mm-hmm. being, not being around very much. Yeah. Um, but he left. Yeah. And um, we had a guy subbing for a little bit who was really good. And then, like, we were looking for a permanent drummer. And Brian, again, the bass player that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. he brought in Abe Laborio, mm-hmm. who was good. He is good. He is a good drummer. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. And uh, and he was, was he still at Berkeley? Or was he like he was at in, Berkeley? He was yeah. at Berkeley. Yeah. And um. And he was just he was such a powerhouse. He was just so much more. Yeah. Presence and volume, and he just like elevated the whole band like right away. Yeah. Um. You know, we almost had to catch up. Like for a little while, it was like our, our, I think it was, I don't know if it was our manager who said this or whatever. He was like the Abe Laborio show featuring Letters to Cleo. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had like we had to catch up to where he was, kind yeah. of like in terms of, you know, yeah, power. Yeah, you know. So it was good for us. Um, and I don't know how long he was in the band. Maybe like nine months. Yeah, like less than a year. I feel yeah. like. And then he came out here. He was from here. He's from here, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he met a girl and fell head over heels and right. was like, I'm moving back to L.A. as soon as I finish this year of school. Okay, yeah. So, like, I'm not going to be doing this for much longer. And he recommended Stacy Jones mm-hmm. as his... Replacement. Yeah. Replacement, who... That awesome. sort of that sort of formed the core group. Oh, okay. And then, and then we had a change of bass player, and Stacy brought his friend Scott, who they had a band in, in Berkeley together. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of like... We had kind of found our lineup and, like... Uh, which was, you know, we made the first record mm-hmm. actually before Scott came in with Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd kind of been saving up for that and, and writing, writing, writing. Mm-hmm. Once we had our batch of songs together, we met with Mike Deneen mm-hmm. and made our first record at the old Q Division in the South End. So with Clue, you're about to make like the first record. You've got the core lineup together. And you're so did did you Mike know Mike Deneen from the scene, like just around Boston? or No, uh, Ian Carp knew him through a band called Talking to Animals. Mm-hmm. Which had Jay Bellrose in it. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. And uh, Tom Giuliano, who was one of my roommates in Berkeley in mm-hmm. the dorms, and uh, 
uh, great singer Juliana Nash and a bass player Greg Poor. They were a real good playing, powerful band um, that we used to like open for a lot. And um, Deneen had worked with them, mm-hmm. and it was sort of like let's talk to this guy, and that's yeah. how we just met at Q Division. Like I didn't know him at all. Right. Cool. So did he produce that first record? Cleo had done Cleo and the previous band with it. They had done stuff at the Fort. And Fort Apache. Yeah. In those yeah. days, like it was like it was kind of like. A, you know, Mets or Yankees, like you had to be aligned with one, one or the other. Or the other. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Giants or Jets, like you had to choose. And Fort but Apache so, was so like, the fact that uh, Cleo went from one to the other. I think we were right. probably one of the first bands to do I think that. That's what. <laughs> so was Fort That was in Cambridge, right? Yeah. That was a little. That was like wrapping up by the time I like got to Boston. So I never actually went there. But that was what square was that in, or what? Where was that located? I feel like that earliest. I mean. It was past Porter Square, somewhere okay. out there, in between Porter and Davis, I guess. Okay, cool. And then the old Q was in, you said, in the South End, and that's where you did the first, you did this letters to First two Cleo records. First two, okay, cool. And Deneen produced both of them? or yeah. Okay. And so did you guys have a deal, or were you like... Well, the first one we just like saved up just, gig money and paid yeah. for. Yeah. You know, and then the second one we had gotten a deal by that point, and, you know. Okay. The thing that what I think relates most to this podcast about yeah. that experience yeah. is that like the sort of magic of getting one group of people working together over the course of years mm. to kind of create something. Right. And it's, you know, a blessing and a curse as far as trying to be a professional musician because right. you are not playing any other music right. other than these 30 songs or whatever right. for years. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you really are hyper focused and like not expanding your chops that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you are learning is how to show up to a gig and burn from the first bar. Right. Like, and how to deal with, road and right. um, uh, how to make records right really with really great producers and learn the craft of arranging songs and sure like you know playing playing together and having instant feedback from the audience a full house of whether you're whether this going it's well or not, or not. Yeah, exactly. night, night in and night out right. recording the show is being like you know you start that fast every night like let's adjust and like mm-hmm. really getting a performance dialed in right. you know so those subtleties that if i had probably been doing pickup gigs for 10 years yeah maybe never would have sunk in or would have been a lot harder right um are yeah. now like part of who i am right but the, right. the flip side of that is you know you're, I didn't play any other music for a, a long, long time. ass time. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> you know? So, so the after the so when were you living in Boston the entire time the Cleo thing was happening, or did you move to New York or LA or any other scene? Or no, I, from from day one of the, my sophomore year of college until summer of two thousand and three, I was lit in Boston. Okay, so a long stretch of time. Yeah, and so. 
you came out here in 2003? Yeah. Okay. And so what prompted the move out here? I had been on tour with a... Uh, so after the band broke up, I um, like sort of threw the band... Let me see if I can remember how this, the chronology of this. So Stacy Jones had left yeah. Letters to Cleo mm-hmm. and um, joined Veruca Salt out of Chicago. Yeah. On their second record, it was a, it was a hit record, toured on it for I don't know, a good year and a half, like really long stretch of time. And, uh, and the, it broke the band up. <laughs> you know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> like they just completely fell apart. Right. And... Nina Gordon, one of the singers, had her already had new Veruca Salt songs and new other stuff, and was kind of like, "I'm just going to get going on my solo career like right, right away." Yeah, and with you know, formed the band around Stacy. Her brother was playing guitar, and I don't know who was playing bass. The Chicago people, right? And I guess the bass player wasn't working out, and she recru- via Stacy she recruited Scott Reebling, who was okay. our bass player at the time. Yeah. Um, and they started working on it, and then after a time, you know, a little bit after that, it was like whether it was the playing or just working with her brother that wasn't working out either, mm-hmm. and wanted a guitar player, and it was like, why don't we just take this whole show back to Boston and work with Mike? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of putting everybody up in Chicago, or whatever. So like, then she came out there, and we got together and um, learned all the songs, got arrangements up, demoed. 20 songs or something at mm. uh, Q Division mm-hmm. uh, with Scott mm-hmm. engineering and producing and uh, you know was Scott in, playing bass as well yeah okay did did Joe Compass play in that band he don't play in the touring version the touring version okay cool so then we like you know and it was like I don't know like a month later we were on a plane to Hawaii to make a record with Bob Rock who okay. did that then had this fill in with like Letters to Cleo got hired to like audition to be the songwriters for a television show about a animated show about a little girl who was a rock star okay and i don't know a bunch of like alternative uh you know woman fronted bands auditioned and we got the gig okay so we spent like a i don't know nine months or something like that this is just before like a home pro tools rig was a real thing right you know (laughs) right um you know writing these songs sending out like cassette recording somehow for approval and then going in recording them at you know we were going back between Q Division and Fort Apache pretty much Mm -hmm. all the time yeah Um, every week pretty much writing recording a new song yeah and that was you know it was a really fun great gig right Um, and then the Nina Gordon tour hit right and that was with Compass right so you Latanzi right Steve Scully Oh, Steve Scully, awesome. And am I missing one person? And me. Okay, cool. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then we toured, you know, not crazy a lot. Like, there was like a three months or so, you know, mm-hmm. two months of like yeah. a normal North American tour. And then we did another thing the next spring that was probably like a month. Mm-hmm. And then like some flyaways and stuff like that in, sure. around that time. That died down. Um, and then I was playing with Ed doing the kind of like, Kay Hanley solo band mm-hmm. and then I got a call from Josh Latanzi mm-hmm. saying like hey you know the guys in Our Lady Peace right and I'm like yes I toured with them mm-hmm. he's like they called me about playing 
like rhythm guitar keyboards like extra guy gig and he was on tour with somebody else at the time like i want to say ivy or something like that mm -hmm. and uh or ben queller yeah it was like i gave him your name are you into it and i was like totally he's like all right expect a call from them so i got a call and like okay you know a week to learn 30 songs tunes, yeah you know we'll rehearse for a few days in toronto and then we got a 75 minute show in Dayton, Ohio. Right. You know, yeah. and that was my first time really doing that with pressure. Yeah. And plus, like learning keys. Like, I knew my way around a keyboard. Right. I played keyboards on some records and stuff like that, right. Leo stuff. Yeah. But not, was by no means a keyboard player. Right. But oddly, I had bought myself a piano, an upright piano, like uh -huh. a year before. Yeah. For the house. Yeah. And like, we'll play every day and like have a little song together. Like, okay, today I will learn 50 ways to leave your lover. Right. Or like, you know, sure, yeah. <laughs> You're just like a song, and, you know, not every day, but like, exactly. Just, sorry. So my chops were probably the best they've ever been on keys. Yeah. Just by, by chance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you've got a, that's a, I think a good lesson for people here. It's like, if you've got to learn 30 tunes in like a week and you can't be on stage like with three music stands in front of you and some right. big rock show. So what is your approach to that? Do you start out by maybe like writing some charts, like writing out the key and the form I and all that stuff? I always, oh, to this day. Yeah. Because I do pick up gigs all the time now. Yeah. And, uh, but it started kind of around that time. I had done a few things around Boston where maybe I just learned the songs by ear. But like by that time, yes, it was like I got a notebook and just started making charts of every song. Yeah. And the one thing I learned on that gig specifically was that every artist has like these things, these patterns that come back. Like once you've learned like five, yeah. you almost don't even need that your instrument you anymore. You know what's you coming. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Key it's and you start, right. you start hearing everything. Oh, this is that thing where they do that. Right. This is like, you know, you, the changes, certain chord changes, certain, mm -hmm. the bridge, of course, that's the flat mm -hmm. seven, right? You know, right. every time. Like, you know, like, there's like little things that you, you, patterns you start to hear. But like, yeah, I just started charting them out. And the, the one other funny thing about that gig was, I was learning, they tuned their guitars down a half step um, to E flat. Mm -hmm. But I was learning the keyboard parts on a upright piano. Right. So like, <laughs> was it? I came for that period of time in my life, like I could play in E flat and A flat and everything like impeccably. Right. And didn't even think twice. Like when I went to the real gig, the previous keyboard player, I had to learn how to use this Kurzweil instrument. That's that right, was another yeah. whole part of the gig that was as challenging as anything. Was right. Like showing up and like, oh yeah, and you use that. Right. And all the sounds for every song is in it. Already in it, yeah. And you got to just get manuals out and go through menus and start trying to figure out how, to, how this yeah. thing works and yeah. what to put where so you'll remember. Like, a lot of it was like playing guitar and then you hit one note and it triggers a thing. Yeah. A thing, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so like man. all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and I was playing keys and standard and guitar tuned down a half step and like it was for it was no my mind started to just totally work in that format like yeah <laughs> yeah um so because i hate playing in b and e anyway on, on the piano, piano. Yeah, yeah exactly those are guitar keys <laughs> yeah, but so, on piano exactly. right, so so was, I, I prefer like i was like oh this is great you're right <laughs> for the horn keys um so so you did the our lady of peace gig is that that's the name of the band right our lady peace our lady peace right yeah. I saw them open up for Page and Plant when I was in ninth grade, the Hartford Civic Center, and that was like unbelievable. That's, that's I might have been at that gig. No, no, no. I saw them in Hartford Meadows. 
opening for Van Halen. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I might have been at that gig because I definitely saw Van Cleo's Halen. Cleo was playing at times. the LNG that night. LNG. Oh and we sound checked and drove up and watched like half the set. I. Eddie was in like totally sober and in tip top shape. Yeah. And was the nicest guy in the world. Got to watch half the show from his side of the stage and like. Like from backstage? Yeah. Oh, from wow. like where his guitar tech stands. Oh, wow. And, uh, but he would, you know, they have the Van Halen shows. There's always like a little segment where each person takes a long solo. Oh, yeah. And uh, so he would just come over and have a cigarette and hang out and like just, he was just talking to us. It's amazing. Yeah. Like just. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, yeah. I remember like one of my first concerts ever was Van Halen at the Meadows. And I remember that like, the long solo thing where like, what, Michael Anthony was like part of his, his stick was like. I Jack Daniels? Yeah. Yeah. I was just I remember watching that and be like, what is he doing? Like the iced it was, tea. Yeah, it was I don't know. The whole thing was completely insane. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um anyway, uh so uh so uh what were we talking? So our lady our lady of peace and then so so you did the Our Lady Peace tour and then were you coming back to LA after that was over, you were already I was still in Boston still and in Boston. that was like they worked so hard, it was like I had been, you know, in a touring band for years and then done other tours after that. And I never worked with anyone who worked a harder touring schedule than that. Like, mm-hmm. we did a year solid, I think it was like 11 months plus. And in that year, we went to Europe three times. We did all the major cities of Canada. We did a complete U.S. tour mm-hmm. of major markets and then a subsequent U.S. tour of secondary markets in, a, in 11 months. We would do, you know, six weeks on, five days off, three weeks in Europe, one week off, you know, Man. eight weeks out. Like it was just not, it was nonstop. Yeah. There was like a three week break for Christmas. And during that Christmas break, my son was born. I already had a daughter at the time. Yeah. My son was born. He got very sick as an infant, like yeah. intensive care sick. Yeah. And, um, and he was out of the woods, out of intensive care, but still in the hospital. I had to leave to go back out on tour. Yeah. I got somebody to sub the first like gig or two of the tour, the previous guy that I had replaced. Yeah. And um, you know, it was just hard to leave. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I don't know if I want to be doing this. Right. And uh, that was sort of the decision to move to L.A., like maybe try to find working at home, home studios, thing, yeah. writing, producing something, right. session work, whatever, something that's not being gone all the time with two young children sure yeah so um so when you came to la like you'd already obviously had like met a lot of people from touring and and, in the professional scene but was did it take was there a period of time where you felt like you were kind of getting reestablished or like entering a scene where you had to kind of establish yourself i still feel that way i've been here 13 years yeah it's so big yeah there's so much going on here yeah. There's like scenes within the scenes and there's like, you know, the players and the composers and even the composers have like a zillion niches within them between advertising and yeah. movie scores and TV and video games and whatever else. Yeah. Um, and arrange- I mean, there's still like people doing orchestration stuff out here and yeah. and like... Like I feel like I've been here 13 years. I feel like I know nobody. Oh man! <laughs> I have a crew of people that I do know, and I could put together a band tomorrow, right? Like for any gig. Yeah. But there's still like so many other people that like every day. Yeah. It's like, do you know so and so? I'm like, no. They're like, oh yeah, he does everywhere. I show up to a gig and like, 
you play with her, you play with him, you play with her. You, like right. all these pros that are just here right. that like it never ends. And I'm like, Jesus, right. this is... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Do you... It, I'm curious about the music scene here from like a, like a live perspective. Like, are there... Are there like, like in Boston, like I know I can go out to like reliably go see like a show at the Lizard Lounge or like Toad or like Atwoods or any of these places. Are there like... Is that kind of thing happening here? Are there like residency gigs where like you can see an artist like, not like there uh-huh. I mean, there's residency gigs like but for bands like yeah. a couple clubs have like their Monday night residency where it's free admission and the same band does a month with different openers yeah but like you know there's you know I'm sure there are and I know there are people who do I know there's like R&B like you know sort of jam nights and mm-hmm. occasionally and occasionally hear about blues but it's it's so spread out here yeah and it's you know, not a ton of it is either close to me or ex- or stuff that I'm excited about, right. or like whatever. When I go to Boston, I I try to take that in as much as I can. Sure, it feels like it's pretty special. Sure, yeah. and uh, I yeah. haven't found that here. In here, yeah, and um, uh, I have an instrumental band that like, you know, we're always trying to figure out where the hell do we play. Where do you play? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. And I'm always trying to start something else going. Like, you know, a buddy of mine, a drummer named Blair Sinta, like, he had this little thing going for a while where we were like, it was different guys every time, but like, just show up and, you know, two hours of improvised music or whatever. Just like, right. <laughs> and right. like, I did one of those and I was like, oh, this would be cool. This would be cool if we get a regular thing going. It just kind of never right. took off. There's a little scene at the York now. In, okay. I don't know if you're still here Sunday. I won't be here Sunday, but what's going on? There's like a, they have instrumental bands there on Sunday nights and. I've been there a handful of times and it's been good every time and really good people. Oh, cool. Like Adam Levy plays there yeah. and uh, my friend uh, Jason Borger, organ player, mm-hmm. he's got a thing there that's kind of pretty cool. It's like a old school R&B instrumental kind of stuff with a real organ. And, nice. Um, every time I've kind of been over there, I'm like, this is good. It's this cool. Is, this is like, a, this could become something. You know? I'm curious, like one, one thing I've asked different pe- people from around the country is that, um, like what is like if you're playing like a club date like a place like is that a club or a restaurant would you say that place it's, a like, restaurant, it's a restaurant bar it's a bar. bar scene they have food like yeah but the live music is like a, a featured part of the vibe of that place would you say it wasn't for a long time but i guess yeah. it's becoming that now okay yeah i'm curious like do they do it's, gigs here like pay it's not set up like there's no lights right like 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 this is a show show right there's no proper pa it's like right. you can there's bring your corner stuff, you and the there's corner, actually little, yeah. sort of a stage there and you yeah. go play. <laughs> so I'm curious to like, does the how can you like expect the house to get like $50 a man from the house, or like a hundred dollars a man from the house or like, do people pass the tip jar here? Or like, is that, I feel like I went there and didn't pay. I don't yeah. think they charged. So I don't, I don't, I think the people you know, just go there for, to go play. Right. I don't know if there's any kind of guarantee or big anything. money. I'm sure the, I'm sure the venue gives them something. Gives them something yeah. Cause it's packed, but yeah. But I don't know that it's much. Probably, yeah, probably something like fifty dollars. Sure. I don't know. You've been in LA and you're still feeling like you know there's there's a huge scene here and like, um, what are some things that like, I don't know you've done to try and get yourself, I don't know like m- like more like intertwined into the scene or like more established or like more like making more connections and what have you been up to? Like, I mean, I'm not a great self promoter. Yeah. Um, just not part of my natural vibe to go and say like, "Hey, look at me! I'm amazing." Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think I think there's something about like New England that like 
makes you that way. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, yeah. like some people are just naturals at it. Yeah. Just like really project that image of like, yeah, I'm the bomb. Like, yeah, you need to hire me like now. Yeah. Change your life, you know. Yeah, I was at a bar last night with Finn and Geese and all these guys. I was looking at this bartender, and he looks like Steven Adler from Guns N' Roses. I was like, I just want to hear that guy play guitar. Like, I just like, you know, like I don't even know. I bet he's probably awesome. So anyway, so you're not a natural self promoter. Yeah, but like, fortunately for me, like a when I first came here, there was like part of a little. There was a bunch of Boston people who had moved out in a wave that started maybe like two years before I got here. Mm-hmm. Actually, there was a previous wave, like Amy Mann, the Gigolo Ants guys, like a couple other people came out in like the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And then when we came out, so there's a little support group when I first got here and those people, you know, would throw a party or have a gig and you would go and meet a bunch of new people. Mm-hmm. And um, right away I got hooked up with this guy, um, actually at a brunch a comedian named Greg Barrett. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had, a at the time, a super successful show over at Largo mm-hmm. called Bring the Rock. Mm-hmm. And Phil Hurley, I don't know if you know him, yeah, amazing name. guitar player. He's down in Austin now. But he was in Boston for a long time. He had been doing this show, and he moved out of town like right around that time. And I just kind of was able to walk into it. It was like, you know, once a month at Largo bunch of comedians and musicians coming together and putting on a show right and that was kind of like my first thing that was like where i was meeting lots of people right and playing a variety of instruments and different songs every time and just mm-hmm. like this is awesome what was that show like i'm curious like musicians and comedians it was called bring the rock bring the was rock it? and it was a storytelling show and like basically greg was the host and he would tell a story and basically he would hire Two or three comedians and one musician mm-hmm. every time to come in and tell a music-based story. Okay. And at the end of their story, we would play a song from their story or, or by an artist from their story, yeah. and usually, almost always, change into a somewhat comedic arrangement of, the, of yeah. the way it wasn't initially intended, like right. intended that either ref- referred to something other part of their story or something from one of the other stories. Just sure. like you know, just coming right. up with themes or right. you know, was it pretty like loosely in, like not a lot of rehearsal like you just put it together we would, and we would get together like once usually at uh nina gordon's house like a yeah day before a couple days before and just, and just kind of like on the acoustic guitars like just go through stuff mm-hmm. whether it was finding the right key or just mm-hmm. testing the arrangement or right you know, sometimes they were medleys and just you know, sure. coming up with an idea and then in sound check really try to hammer it down right through, as best yeah. we could you cool. know like <laughs> sounds like a really fun gig so that was the first time you were really like in on la stage playing doing stuff, doing stuff. yeah, yeah. And that led to so much stuff. Like, I have a band with Greg now. Mm-hmm. Like, I was giving him guitar lessons for a little while, and then yeah. we started a band. You know, so, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, that opened a lot of doors. You know, when I first got here, there was, like, weird, like, this little... I don't know if it's, like, being a new t- shiny new toy or whatever, but, like, a bunch of session work happened. Mm-hmm. You know, demos mostly, but, like, yeah. there was still, like, a lot of song demos going on at the time. And... Uh, you know, for the first year I was here, like, you know, I wasn't making a great living, but I had stuff going on, like, sort of regularly. And then that stuff all sort of dwindled away after a little while. And then mm. I um, had my own studio and started producing some artists. And then mm-hmm. yeah. that was my focus for a while. And that was going really well. I built that up to by 2010, like, where I was doing pretty much just that. Yeah. 
you know, how to just every day have an artist coming in and kind of working on records or mixing records or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing now? Are you basically doing a version of that? Um, I'm trying to get that going again. So, yeah. so I had built that up pretty well, and there was also some like writing for TV show stuff that had come in, and uh, I was basically kind of just like recording myself or with artists, you know, pretty much all the time, and it was like mm-hmm. going well. Um, around that time, I split up with my wife and kind of moved and had to give yeah. up that studio, yeah. and. Uh, Still had that going, but I was kind of like, my gear got spread out a bunch of, among a bunch of different places, and my budgets had to be a little higher because I was, you know, renting studio space. Right, and it was right. a little, little tougher, and I was, you know, t- taking care of kids, like that. so that kind of like started to dwindle down a little bit. Yeah. But like the mixing stuff was still going well because I could do that here. Right. You know, so that was kind of keeping me alive for a little while. Yeah. And then kind of out of the blue, I got called to sub, for a month. With Melissa Etheridge. Okay. It was like cool. between me and another guy, you know, you sort of send in a little bio and a couple yeah. of YouTube clips, you know, and hope for the best. Yeah. My buddy Blair was playing drums at the time. And if you know Peter Thorne. I don't know him personally. He's like the master of like demoing guitar equipment. Okay. On YouTube. And okay. An amazing guitar player. He had been doing the gig for like five years at the time and they extended the tour by a month. He already had another commitment. So was like yeah. fill in for the month. Right. And I got it and did it and it turned into like over a year oh cool yeah you know like the first month was really on the road the whole time then it'd be like you know a few fly outs a month right you know just like and paid well and it was great and then like I just found myself just like out of nowhere being a player again right and then a couple other tours is band from New York called the Damn Wells uh-huh. and Tonic uh-huh. my buddy who I had uh, done a bunch of engineering for film composer is the guitarist in Tonic yeah founding member but his composing career such that he can't always can't play certainly take it, one yeah. tour right. so like a sub for him for a mm-hmm. whole summer and yeah. like and then again fly outs for probably a year after that and mm-hmm. like um and that kind of all ended last october november and it was mm-hmm. like what do i do now do i want yeah. to try and hustle for another tour or do i want to try and get the studio thing going yeah so yeah. Like, <laughs> the phone yeah. wasn't ringing it was sort of like a right. cross, you know fork in the road right and i you know that kind of just happened to be the time that I ran into Stacy Jones again at a club and we talked about maybe doing some Cleo stuff. Oh, cool. And we got together with Kay and wrote a few songs and just started demoing them at his studio. Mm-hmm. He mentioned he was leaving that studio. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, were your partner Bill looking for someone else to take your spot? And mm-hmm. he was like, probably. So I jumped on that, you know, went all in and moved into that place. And that's where nice. I've been working for the past six months okay cool and so you guys are and you guys are about to do something with Cleo or what do you what we is just coming up just finished the record mm-hmm. um, and we have um, a, you know limited tour booked for October November just like San Francisco LA Chicago New York Boston okay where are you playing in Boston Paradise Paradise awesome and that's in November and yeah we're doing it all ourselves so it's like all the everything from the yeah press to it's like you've <laughs> Book, booking the trip and, so yeah. much art i mean well we'll get somebody to do that stuff but just okay. like there's just so many little things like you know just every day it's like it's, it's amazing the full-time job just to put out a record yeah you know yeah and we're doing the pledge music so it's like oh, yeah. i moved it out of the way when you got here but there's like a box of stuff that also be signed and then shipped back yeah and then there's interviews you know thursday and friday and yeah 
you know, notes on the mixes and mastering. There's just every every day. There's at least like one or two like Clio things that's going to take a couple of hours of my day. Yeah, gotta get done. <laughs> yeah, Mike, thank you so much for talking to me, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. Thank oh, you you're so welcome. Much. This episode was produced and edited by me, Andrew Jones. The theme song was a collaboration between Matt Pendergast and myself. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansLifePodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusiciansLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and remember, time with music is time well spent.